0: Hi, thanks so much for tuning into the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast, where I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage, and I'm really excited you're here. You're listening to episode number four. In today's episode, I am talking with my longtime friend and social justice co-conspirator, Katie Rubin, the founder and former executive director of Theater of the Oppressed NYC. Katie is an artist and a facilitator, and she works with cities around the world to develop and scale legislative theater, which is a participatory democracy process that uses theater to partner with communities to bring about transformative structural solutions to discrimination and disenfranchisement. I've known Katie for close to a decade. And in that time, I've been so deeply inspired by watching her live out her commitment to illuminating the inherent power that even traditionally disenfranchised people have and to reshaping institutions and systems of power to truly hold and respond to the humanity in all of us. I have watched Katie work in communities around the world and use this incredible model of Legislative Theatre, both when she was the Executive Director of Theatre of the Oppressed NYC and now since stepping down in communities all over the country and around the world and was really excited to talk with her about these questions of power and discrimination and equity and how to bring about structural change. So in this conversation, Katie and I talk about dynamics of power, who gets to pose questions to solve, who gets to hold space, and even more fundamentally, who gets to propose and shape solutions, especially in this next normal that we're building. This conversation is taken from my video series, The Next Normal, which explores issues of strategy, sustainable leadership, and racial equity in the nonprofit sector in the world that will follow the tectonic unrest of 2020. Let's get started. Hi, Katie. Great to see you. Hi, you too. So by way of introduction, I will tell folks that you and I have been friends for close to a decade when we were both pretty baby EDs, executive directors of our organizations. And since then, we've moved on to do other things. But your sort of purpose in life has always remained really consistent and is a big part of why I'm excited to talk to you today. What you were doing when I met you and what you're doing now across the sea is the same. Why don't you tell us what it is that you do?
1: Sure. So I am currently working on a tool called Legislative Theater. It's a participatory and creative, fun accessible at its best, (laughs) in my imagination, tool for structural change, for policy change, change in practice, in rules, in decisions, within institutions that govern our lives, our communities, the way we are able to access our human rights and our health and our dignity and, and all of that. And that's uh, something that comes out of the work of Theater of the Oppressed, which is a tool that has been used around the world since the 60s and 70s coming from Brazil. And I used to be the executive director of Theater of the Oppressed NYC when we were, as you said, baby EDs and uh, still in the sustainable sisterhood, ED women who cheer each other on. And that organization is doing great. And one of the things that Theater of the Oppressed is about, and and legislative theater is part of that, just sort of looking at policy change specifically, is about, as your work is, right, and really I would say all of our organizations, is about flipping the dynamic of power in terms of who gets to uh, pose problems, who gets to ask or state what the problems are, who gets to pose questions, and then also who gets to propose solutions, and even who gets to hold each other or decision makers accountable to those kinds of solutions and in that work of kind of examining power through theater and then trying to overturn power through practices of engaging the audience in theater. And I'll, I'll say briefly how it works. One of the things that I figured out also was that it wasn't time for me to be pow- in power anymore at Theatre of the Oppressed NYC. And I think that's been something that's actually been going through my work ongoing at this point, is that even as I continue to investigate and develop legislative theater and hope that it can be useful in more places and more contexts in other cities now in around Greater Manchester and in the United Kingdom, I'm also constantly thinking about From the beginning of a process, Mm -hmm. who is in power, who is speaking in front of the camera? We're doing a lot of cameras these days, right? (laughs) Who is (laughs) like every step of the way? And will this process also change who gets to start a process like this in the future?
0: Yeah, one of the reasons that I've been looking forward to this conversation is because the very nature of what you have done for the last however many years and are doing now is about shaping our sort of normal, right? What counts as normal, how decisions are made, who gets to be at the proverbial table. And the series of conversations I'm having is about what it takes to reimagine our next normal. And so these issues of who's at the table, and that's come up in a lot of these conversations with folks, That issue is just like really present right now. And you mentioned something that I want to dig a little deeper into. And I know you and I have had conversations about this for years. As a white leader doing this work, I know that you grapple with exactly what you just said. What is my role? How are you grappling with that now, particularly in sort of the wake of so many of things that have happened this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that... One of the things that has become clear in my work and thinking about it in relation to all the things happening this year and the Black Lives Matter movement, which has been going on and is growing and growing, is kind of what I was sort of starting to think about before in, in terms of this taking up space and the space that I take up yeah. and sort of what is the value add that I can bring to a process and weighing that <laughs> against the space that I take up. Yeah. So really being thoughtful and very critical about how much space I do need to take up. So for instance, here in the UK right now, in Greater Manchester, the Greater Manchester Combined Authority, which is a local government and this Homelessness Action Network, which is intersector big network here in in those 10 boroughs, have asked or decided to use legislative theater as a tool to create their five-year homelessness prevention strategy. And so one of the things that we planned in that process was that alongside this year-long process, three plays, creating this prevention strategy, there should be an intensive facilitator training process with folks who have experienced homelessness or are currently experiencing homelessness to be paid, yeah, and to go along with that. And we just had the first big show, which was entirely facilitated by these five facilitators, who are a really interesting group of people who are bringing like arts leadership and community leadership and their lived experience and their experience around disability access and around Islamophobia and around being a refugee and around race and around gender. And they're bringing that to the process. So I was really thinking about it a few weeks ago, like, The event was talking about who's in power at the Department of Work and Pensions and this office and this office. But the event can be modeling who's in power, even asking those questions in even a deeper way that I think that I ever could imagine doing that in my past life. So I guess that's what I've been thinking about is challenging myself yeah, to think about where can I bring value and where can I take up less space and how can those go together?
0: And what's the balance? Yeah. Are you seeing these principles of legislative theater or of, I don't know sharing power is exactly the way to talk about it, but redistributing power maybe, play themselves out on a broader scale as we make our way through this year where so many of the norms have just kept the same groups, the same people in power are being shaken up? Are you seeing more people have the kinds of conversations and engage in the kind of work that needs to be engaged in, in order to move us forward? Or do you still feel like it's pretty sort of isolated to events or things like that?
1: I think it's a great question. I mean, I feel like yes and no, kind of right. And I was just thinking when you were asking the question that I feel like it's sometimes being isolated to individuals or individual instances. Mm -hmm. So we see some leader crash because everything comes out about all their history of racism and or their history of sexism or their Me Too movement, or right? We see someone crash, and the story is about that person, kind of. And it is also, I mean, certainly it's not that the story is not about the larger movement, but I do feel like even in those instances, and then what happens on the flip side is that we see movements like in theater in America, there's a movement. We see you, white American theater. An incredible movement. Oh, wow. Incredible website. We see you, W A T. It's very powerful, and it it started around June with like social media and demands, and and then calling out theaters and saying we sent you these demands, and you said you would reply by August seventh, and you didn't, and putting that on social media. Wow. And so it's amazing, and it's so powerful to see this activism. And then I guess my cynical side goes, oh, but it's still. Or, of course, it is still the people who don't have as much power in that space, right? The people who are not the board members and the artistic directors and the executive directors making demands and asking for accountability and then asking for them to reply. So when I think about that in relation to sort of seeing one leader at a time crash, I guess my dream would be that those leaders like it can't be on the people asking, the people asking for the demands are doing everything they possibly can, and I think they're doing it super creatively and in such a powerful way right now, which is very exciting in this moment. And maybe COVID has something to do with that in the way we've sort of reimagined space and communication. It can't be all on them, and so I would love to see those leaders, and I've seen it a little bit, but like there's still a whole lot of white artistic directors, executive directors, CEOs, whoever they are, politicians for sure. Politicians are driving me nuts these days. (laughs) I mean, here too, right? They're just useless. And I would love to see them say out loud, should I be in this job? Should you be in this job? Should we be taking up this role in the Senate (laughs) for 45 years (laughs) or whatever it is? And then, right, getting complacent and Can we be really brave with each other about saying, yeah, am I taking up space that is not helpful?
0: So how do you link the sort of personal piece, the not even personal piece? I guess what's coming to my mind is I do a lot of work around sustainable leadership and with women who are starting and growing organizations and leading organizations. And in that sphere of things, this idea of like the mythical one person who's going to like lead the organization, who's the innovator and the visionary. And we tend to define things in terms of one person, right? One person is good or one person is bad, not systems are supporting that person or systems are bad. And what I find interesting about like the duality that you're talking about is that it's the same here, right? When one person falls, it's really easy to say, well, that person was bad, right? And then at the same time, you have Black Lives Matter, which is saying no, and so many other amazing movements that are saying, no. we have bad systems that prop up and support bad actions by people. How do you bring those two conversations? together so that when one person falls, it becomes a leverage point to say to all the other people who've been in Senate for 45 years, hey, it's not that person. It's the system and you're part of that system. How do you do that?
1: I mean, I guess I think about this a lot. I mean, again, like thinking about leadership, I really think that we're thinking about executive directors just based on our experience. I think at some point I started to think not only is it not true that I am so much greater or smarter or anything else but it is harmful it's harmful to my organization and to myself my health my leadership my ability to do my job to receive that message and to act on that message and I don't think it's helping me to put me in a position of elevated status or the work right or the movement so I guess I think that we have a when we talk about systems we have a system we have a media we have even like Yeah, executive director, breakfast clubs, and you know these like set up by organizations. I think that maybe all of those things are wrong because they're holding up power. And I guess what I've been thinking, this is just where I'm at right now, is that power in one person or in few people has no choice but to be bad. Like has no choice but to be harmful.
0: But is it, and this is going to be really embarrassing because I know I'm going to get this wrong, but Animal Farm, right? Yeah, yeah power corrupts absolutely right 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 right, right. corrupting of the power
1: yeah yeah and it's not that the person in power is bad it's It's the power and the actions that that will take towards other people and i don't know that necessarily i think that we should never have one person in power of anything but i do think maybe that all of these systems could have really restrictive term limits. I think that we could not tell stories this way. Mm -hmm. Like we could not say, oh, the executive director is leaving and everything. You know, we should stop having that story. It should stop being a news announcement. We don't make a news announcement when someone else is leaving in the organization. So I'm not sure. I'm just sort of saying these things out loud. (laughs) You might come back to me later and I say, forget it. It's impossible. (laughs) You know, and it's not that everything else is easy. It's not that, collaborative work or flat structures. And I don't know that I mean exactly flat structures. I mean the myth around one individual. There's so many ways that I think that's harmful. And I think that that would support those movements to stop holding up those myths.
0: So what's the next step? I mean, I think it's interesting talking to you as a legislative theater practitioner because you are grounded in this thinking, right? What you spend your time thinking about and doing is about reimagining. Right? And how do we even have different kinds of conversations? How do we create different narratives around power and leadership and systems and what's working and what's not? If I am not a legislative theater practitioner, right, how can I think about my leadership, my participation on a team, my role as a funder? Right? What are the different kinds of questions that the rest of us in the sector could be asking ourselves? to start to do some of this reshaping and rethinking work that you're doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in that sense, there are so many examples, I think, that are doing it brilliantly. And I look to them to think about how they're making change. I guess, I mean, when I think about it, it doesn't have to be a theatrical event, right? It doesn't have to be, right? But it's sort of like, who's in the room, right? How is the room set up? Not just in a physical way, but what's the design of who's in the room? Mm Right. So the design of who's in the room is equally important to who's in the room. And what's the design of the process that will lead us to a differently designed result? So I think we can't have a different result with post-it notes. Like we will only get the post-it note result. (laughs) I think. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, I I think if we want the post-it note result, we should use post-it notes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. And sometimes we do want that. But if we want a different result, we have to think about what's the design of that. Like, What's an
0: example of a non-Post-it note design? I'm actually really fascinated because you know I... Yeah.
1: No, no. I mean, I, I do. I like a good Post-it note myself. But <laughs> post-it I mean, so legislative theater has a design, right? But I think, yeah, I mean, I can give an example because I think even within that process, I keep rethinking, I keep seeing how things, I thought it had to be this design and actually it could be a different way to get a different result within that process, right? So for instance, in legislative theater, you pose the problem, the experience that humans are having with a problematic, flawed, oppressive policy, right? Through a play. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, the design of doing it as a play right? Performed by the people who have experienced it has a different result than reading it in a white paper, then speaking it out loud, then hearing it in the news. You have an emotional experience of, oh, I know what that feels like. Yeah. And then we ask you to recognize that you know what that feels like, right? So you sort of make that connection. You laugh, you feel pain, like there's a sort of emotional journey that, yeah, solidarity building and humanizing, which then in my hope or in the, in the ideal, like engages people in a more urgent and personal way to want to change the issue, and therefore already the intention towards making the change has changed, and that is an example of redesigning the process towards redesigning the result just in that first process, right, in that, yeah. It's
0: so interesting because I think about the ways that organizational leaders try to bring the impacted people, communities, issues that they're working on behalf of into spaces with, say, funders, supporters, etc. Yeah. I remember in our sisterhood, we would talk about this, that there was always this pressure to sort of line up my organization, work with young people, to sort of line them up, right? And I had a funder once say to me, part of the role of the funder was to get me meetings with large donors. And she was displeased because I would have these meetings and the young people that I would bring with me, which is also sort of like structurally not amazing, weren't having serious enough problems was basically, she's like, like they're not downtrodden enough. And so what really I need you to do is find like, and don't have them talk about how they're okay and like persevering. We need to hear how awful their lives are. And I, remember sitting and wondering, what does it mean for me as a social justice, as someone who has committed my life to that, to even keep that funding? So when you and I are talking today about designing spaces differently, designing processes differently, it's creating different narratives, and you're making me remember just that that's a design too, right? That my relationship with my funders and you have to question it. And I, I really grappled. I was like, I don't know what to do in the design that we currently have, which is set up where like she gets me in the room with a rich person and I'm supposed yeah. to have low income kids and right. 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 Design. a Yeah.
1: I mean, when you're saying that, it's making me think of another thing, which is that I also felt as an executive director, like there were so many things that I wanted to, or wished I could redesign. I don't even know that I had the time and space to think about how, but I just knew I wished I could, but I didn't feel like I could because it was too risky with all the money that I needed to raise, the people that I needed to keep on salary, like the pressure. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so I just want to like note that I feel like in this current role, I have a lot of privilege and space to really push with design. I mean, I have other barriers and now working with the local government, but I personally don't have that at stake. Yes. If people don't like what I do or how I try it, right. Or, or something. I just to say, like, I think that, Yeah, it's not as easy as redesigning because there's all this pressure from the systems to not be able to do that. So it's just important to think about that.
0: One of the things that I have found really interesting about these last few months being in conversation with organizational leaders is and with funders, actually we're starting to have some of these deeper conversations about the system of philanthropy and the system of of nonprofit (laughs) leadership. And I just love this concept that you've introduced of of designing the system, right? Designing the process, designing the system, of redesigning what those conversations look like. So that as an executive director or anybody on the team at a nonprofit, how you can do that cost-benefit analysis of this isn't, I don't want to feed into this bad part of the system. And I also want to be able to pay my staff. Like that calculus is different. If you have a rule that says actually we're in partnership here. Right. And to your point, if you have a city that says actually your services, what you're doing are critical, the people you're working with are critical, the whole system starts to change. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think what we're saying, just coming back, like it's going to require everyone to buy into a new, right. And again, I think like the people in power, it's going to require them to step back, take up less space, not have that role of power for much longer if they have set up systems that are harmful, whether they wanted to or not, right? But also this, like I said, just this whole narrative around that one person solves everything or that I think that there's a lot, a lot of players in that narrative.
0: Well, you sort of did what I was about to do, which is bring us
1: full circle
0: and just ask, what advice do you have for people who... Not just the leaders, but you've been an executive director. You've been not an executive director. You are doing social justice work. You lived here and now you live there. I think you have just a multitude of perspectives and you're really grounded in this work of reimagining the next normal. What's one thing that we all can think about moving forward to maybe help us, I don't know, help us rethink all of this?
1: I think that in this phase of my work and my life now I have this space to say I'm developing legislative theater I'm testing I'm improving right and and that's fine nobody questions that right and I think I can say that for as long as I want to right now or at least for the you know yeah. <laughs> I didn't have to say when I'm done testing right like yes. and when we were most successful Theatre of the Oppressed NYC. So the model of Theatre of the Oppressed of legislative theatre, right? And I said, people, we do a play. And then actually, the audience becomes part of the play in this narrative of changing up power. The audience are required to become part of the action, are asked, are invited, but essentially, they are part of the action. There's no question about it. We're all part of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And they come up on stage, or now we're doing zoom with in-person actors audience on zoom it's wild looks like star trek so somebody's on the screen and they try to change something and we improvise and we see what works and when we were most successful in tonyc we thought of our organization in that way we tried interventions and we named them as such and i would think about this all the time when we're doing the work when we would have a forum and you try an intervention you're never allowed to say that was bad or that got worse. In fact, you can't say, was it better or worse? That's what we teach the facilitators. It's just what did they try and what changed? And no matter what changed, we learned from it. And even if it looks like it got worse, right? Even if there was a major explosion, we learn, oh, well, maybe the news is going to come and they're going to learn about that issue. And then it got, actually, we learned something, right? So we always made progress. And there's all those like, quotes that we're all supposed to stick up on our wall about trying and learning and then but so rarely in my role of power felt like I really had the space to do that. And when sometimes we would remember <laughs> how we do our work yeah. and we would do that, in terms of we would have a big strategic planning that meeting that way. And we would actually do a scene. We would say, okay, what's not going well? And we would have people come in and try things. And it would just, because it's already so fun and people are laughing, it released so much pressure. Mm-hmm. And we made the biggest leaps in terms of fixing things when we did that.
0: As an experiment, as an intervention, you're trying. And the flip side of that, or what grows out of that, is everything becomes an opportunity.
1: I yeah, yeah. And it, sometimes those scenes that we would see in those big meetings, if we did that, would be you harmed me, like you, there was harm done. And that doesn't mean, so that just because I tried something doesn't mean it wasn't, it wasn't harmful, right? And so it can still be, there was harm, we didn't do that right. And then there's still accountability to what somebody's going to suggest to follow up with that. But the process of analyzing the past and moving towards the future,
0: What's yeah, yeah. I love it. That is a wonderful note to end on. Awesome. It was always great talking to you. I just love these conversations. I love what you're doing. And thank you so much for sharing it with us.
1: Thank you, Brooke. I'm um, so happy to talk and yeah, excited to see what we're all gonna I know. create in the future.
0: Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts and definitely share with your friends. You can learn more about Katie at katierubin.com and about Theatre of the Oppressed NYC at tonyc.org. And check out the video series that goes along with this podcast episode, The Next Normal, at richiebabbage.com backslash normal. And one last exciting announcement. If you are the leader or on the board of a small nonprofit under a million dollars and you're looking to pass that first milestone of a million dollars, I am really excited to announce that enrollment for my Impact Accelerator program is now open until next week. Head over to richiebabbagecom backslash nonprofit accelerator to learn more and apply. That's all for now. Have a great week and I will see you
1: back here next week for more Mastermind.